classic as an adjective means judged over a period of time to be of the highest quality and outstanding of its kind as a noun a classic is a work of art of recognized and established value we live in a world where the patience for anything to age to classic status is fleeting so true classics must be honored the greatest acknowledgement one can bestow a classic is to return to it cycle its life and broaden the world's awareness of its existence but that reverence should include reflection of self hundreds of millions of superstars are sold annually over the decades DJs have taken this classic and made iconic reflections of self creating new classics that are often imitated yet never duplicated rock the bells this clip is from the YouTube channel of DJ Crate Digger, entitled Hashtag Return to a Classic. As a DJ, I completely understand that language. You feel me? The language of a DJ. LL Cool J is hot as Many NCIS Los Angeles fans know the actor James Todd Smith, excuse me, a.k.a. LL Cool J, as Agent Sam Hanna, a character he's played since 2009. The series just wrapped its 14th and final season last month. What a great run for LL. However, we hip-hop heads, old-school film junkies, and DJs know LL for his music. In fact, I've seen LL rock it out in concert several times and had a chance to meet him when he was promoting his fitness book. It takes a real talent, like a DJ, to scratch and recreate and revisit a sound like DJ Crate Digger. June is Black Music Month, and we're celebrating the hip-hop culture and music, which has generated careers for many, such as myself, DJ Val The Voice via Clubhouse, and this young man right here, introducing DJ Crate Digger, a Columbus, Ohio-based DJ who understands and lives for the beats, rhythms, and rhymes of music. I'm Val The Voice Johnson, and this is Interludes. Interludes, a Peer Lighthouse production. This episode is brought to you by... Need help with wills, trusts, or protecting your LLC? Join Legal Shield today. Text the word LEGAL to 347-652-0243 for more information. And now, all the way from the south side of Chicago, give it up for your host, Vel, the voice, Johnson. Great digger, welcome. How are you today? 
Hey Val, how are you? Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm doing well. You know, like we 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 mentioned earlier, us Midwest folks, um, we kind of live a different life from many other folks. So now that it's officially like summertime, you know, it, we're into June and the weather is nice and all those things. So I am I'm a happy person. I tell people all the time when it's like below 60, I start to get grumpy. Below that, I get even worse. So as you can see from my face, today is a good weather day. So I'm good. I know, I know. And I literally was just praying for the weather to just keep making a, a rise because I, when I, I hear that song and it's funny how I relate and how I talk. I always think, of, I think in music, everybody loves the sunshine. So I'm thinking about Roy Ayers, like that is, that's my life, everybody. And I'm one of them bodies that love the sunshine. I, music is phenomenal. Uh, June is Black Music Month, and I thought it would be apropos to have someone who is in that space being a, I like to call it a real DJ. Like there's there's turntables and there's a there's a computer now. I got into the DJ space as early as I want to say maybe 10 or 11 years old. Didn't know what I was doing. I had the records and the 45s. I didn't know how to scratch it. Come to find out they don't work really good with that. But I remember... As I got into college, I was thinking, I'd like to do this, but I was very happy with hosting and talking about the music. But you can you can rock a party. What started your interest in actual and actual DJing and actually being someone that would, I, I want to say, curate the space of dance? Um, so as I always say, first, long story short, and then I end up having a real long story. And I like that wasn't really short at all. So long story short, like at, similar to you, like as a little kid, I had those 45s, like Swamp Fox and Mary Poppins and all those like 45s we had as kids. And no, yeah, we tried, we tried to scratch that. That's we weren't, they weren't made for that. Like the record players we had were not. So it was, I probably had the same horrible experience you had. Jump mm -hmm. forward many years. Um, Hip hop was like the language of my, like the cultural language of my my youth and my young adulthood. You know, we're not too far apart in age. So like late 80s, early 90s, when I'm, you know, middle school into high school, uh, like hip hop was the language that, that I spoke socially. Um, so during those times, and, and based on a lot of the background that I'm not gonna get into that I had of understanding just music and polyrhythms and all that, Hearing music, hearing hip hop specifically and understanding and hearing like references and samples from what I used to listen to with my parents and uncles and aunts and all those things, along with me at that young, quote unquote, young age saying, I would love to hear this music and these vocals or this drums with this bass line, et cetera, et cetera. So all of that moving forward, when I got into college, I went to Kentucky State University and my, uh, freshman year of college, like I just happened to meet up with one of the main DJs on campus and we just had a, a good friendship. But because mm -hmm. of my understanding of music and a lot of different things, we always talked about like, yo, come through, you know, I'll let you, you know, cause I did have the interest before that, but I didn't know a DJ to personally to right. approach. So once again, I, I was living in Columbus, Ohio, um, which is a Midwest city. Um, so it's not as fast as the Chicago's or the New York's or the, you know, Miami's, the, all these major cities. So like mm -hmm. me having personal access or knowing an actual DJ wasn't something um, that I knew, you know, during those kind of formula, uh, formative years of, of high school. So mm -hmm. in college, I met one of the main DJs. We had a friendship. 
wasn't based on really the, the music per se. Um, and then my sophomore year, because I was an athlete, I got injured my sophomore year. So, you know, I was practicing oh. still, but wasn't competing. And that led to me linking up with him. And we were always talking about, yo, come through, come through. First time I had a chance to put my hands on turntables and, and a mixer. I wasn't, I was, by no means was I great, but it wasn't like a lot of other people's first time because once again, I had <laughs> seen plenty of DJs on, whether it was Rap City or Yo! MTV Raps or whatever, I understood the mechanics of a turntable and the idea of a mixer. And if you move this knob this way, this sounds it. So like all of those basic things about DJing, I had a, a basic understanding of just via hip hop. And then having come into the space also with those own with my, with my own ideas that I just kind of had to figure out like, how do I make my idea happen? So many, many hours of practice, you know, like I said, even though I, I recovered from my injury, I would get up at six o'clock, go to practice, class all day, afternoon practice, study hall in the evenings, whatever, whatever, around 10 o'clock at night, you know, I would meet up with my homie Sakari, go to his room, practice. I would just put in a tape. I know a lot of folks may not remember, but we used to have these called audio tapes that we used to be able to put in these, these machines and right. they would take the audio that we put into it and you can play it back but I would record my practices. <laughs> and you know, if you had a, a, a 120 minute tape, 60 minutes mm -hmm. on each side, so I would have two hours of practice that I would record. The tape would, would flip and then stop, but I would just keep going sometimes until two, even four o'clock in the morning sometimes, take the tape back to my room. I would put in and listen to my practice sessions until I fell asleep and got back up at six o'clock the next morning, practice, class, practice over and over. So I did that for basically, six weeks non-stop right at wow. the start of my you know right at the start of fall of 97 i did that for six weeks and in the meantime i was hanging out with the other djs i was learning how to set up you know how like i, I was basically a roadie so we would carry the crates we didn't have the laptops and all i that did back that then. too yeah i did that too i was a yeah. roadie <laughs> so I'm, I'm carrying crates to the party i'm helping set up i'm knowing how to, to plug in the speakers and doing all that stuff Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I would hang out and, and socialize a bit during the party. But most of my time was spent watching him DJ and not just him physically DJing, but how he DJed and how he used different parts of records and all those things that I would learn to understand and then make it my own. Um, but I say all that to say like six weeks of doing that, I, you know, it's homecoming, you know, jump forward to middle of September, homecoming weekend. I'm just doing what I usually do, carrying crates, helping set up. Sakari says, go ahead and, and you know, throw a couple of songs on. I got to run downstairs an hour later. He's not back yet. But because I had, you know, I had a, a history in performance. I had been practicing for practicing for many, many weeks. I wasn't nervous. I was worried about him because <laughs> like, he, he where, where did he go? Yeah, yeah, where is he? He, he didn't tell me he was leaving. He just said he had to run downstairs. So he came back about, you know, hour, hour and a half after I started. The event is going, you know, people are in the room having a good time. He's like, you good? I was like, yeah, here you go. He's like, oh, no, no, I'm doing a party downstairs. So my first actual DJ gig was a surprise. I don't want to say he tricked me or threw me into it per se, even <laughs> though he did, but he knew I was ready. So to answer your question and go on a bit, like I had all of these different experiences throughout my life that led me right. to like, so when I, I approached DJing and started learning, I wasn't approaching it from a space of like absolute no knowledge. I came into it with, with, a, with a lot of different kind of understanding and, and layered understanding of the culture and the context. I just needed some guidance and some mentorship 
and I needed somebody to be like, stop, that's whack. Don't do that. Do this. <laughs> or I hear what you're trying to do, but do it this way. Or, right. you know, or just that, that mentorship, that apprenticeship, that guidance that helped me, A, be the best that I could be, kept me interested. So as I was learning and making mistakes, I was able to learn from those mistakes and really just enjoy DJ. I never got into DJing to be a DJ, to make money. It was just mm -hmm. something that I was interested in. It was part of my musical kind of progression because I had played other instruments and done other things musically before that. But, wow. you know, I, I became very good at it. And I, I'm very thankful because it's literally taken me to, to places in the world and to meet people that I would have never, ever even considered, you know, being realistic for my life at the time, being a, a accounting major. <laughs> so let me stop because seven questions popped into my brain. I don't know if I'm going to swing back around to get to all of them. Uh, I know when I was learning and and kind of that roadie and carrying the the crates of records, a lot of folks don't understand what that is. Yes, a Serato and MP3s changed and remixed everything. But I would literally watch the audience and depending on what I was playing or depending on what he was playing, he says, if, you're, if your crowd thins out, that means they're not feeling that song. So you really have to um, kind of go with the vibe of the room and read the room. Um, yeah, I'm a little bit before you. I would experiment. Now here in Chicago, it was house music. So we would definitely try to make sure that we mix hip hop with house and and then kind of do some rock because we were I was at a PWI. So they would want to hear their Aerosmith or uh, some other things. But wow. So an accounting major starts to love to DJ and you're rehearsing and I'm going, wow, that's that's two different. That's two different worlds. Accounting, which is very corporate. And then uh, mixing, which is like thing. And here's the thing. When did you start calling yourself Crate Digger? Where did that name come from? I'm curious. Um, so I started learning to DJ in fall of 97, but I didn't give myself that moniker until roughly fall of 2000. So in, in, in that in-between time, I had a different name. You know, I went to, mm -hmm. uh, like I said, Kentucky State, which is HBCU. So to your point, I as, as specifically mm -hmm. to the HBCU that I went to, and I have a little person waiting behind me who might pop up behind me, but from the East Coast, from other parts of the Midwest, from the West Indies, like similar to you, I had to learn all of those different styles and types of music. Mm -hmm. So we had our house heads, we had our folks who wanted to hear Master P and all the stuff from down south that was popular at the time. We, went, we had those folks who wanted to hear that New York hip hop. So similar to you, learning how to not just bridge all of those different styles, but kind of read the crowd and say, all right, once again, we have you know fraternities and sororities doing their thing. So we have to be aware of all of these different kinds of subcultures going on in the party at the same time. Yeah. So, so absolutely the same uh, experience, just in a different context. But specifically to your question, um, I had a different name during my college years. And when I uh, left college, and came back to Columbus, Ohio, like I was still interested in, in DJing, but understood A, because when I left college, I left for college, I wasn't a DJ. So coming back into the city, I still, I had to somewhat reinvent myself or kind of learn all these things because people were learning of me as the DJ, as basically like a whole new person. Like I had just moved there for the first time. So because as I mentioned before, I have all these different experiences and influences of music. My mm -hmm. style was already one of, bless you, was already one of going into 
music understanding where it came from the different parts aspects of it all those things so like digging in the crates like the hit the the when we talk about just and, and i'm sure we're going to talk about this at some point but hip-hop culture itself specific to djing like djs didn't always go into a record store to buy records mm-hmm. when dj when hip-hop specifically in hip-hop when djs first started there was no hip-hop music they were going and playing like you said the rock the the funk the soul r b mm-hmm. all these different uh, right. other genres of music but it's how they were playing them that spoke to kind of and infused what we soon understood as hip-hop right those those records were often sold in mom and pop stores uh flea markets wherever whatever Mm -hmm. and they were sold in bins and or milk crates because that's one of the easiest ways to carry them so -hmm. when people hear the term digging in the crates that's kind of just record shopping (laughs) but so like understanding like in college playing biggies big papa and playing between the sheets because that's the sample of it or all these other things of bringing in once again the different generational aspects of music digging in the crates or being a crate digger or a crate digger as i kind of chopped it up just like that's who i was already artistically so when i started thinking of names for naming myself it, it really just made sense We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Need help with wills, trust, or protecting your LLC? Join Legal Shield today. For more information regarding legal protection or to join our worldwide sales team, text the word LEGAL to 347-652-0243. And now, back to our show. And you mentioned hip-hop, and this is 2023, and which now the celebration i can't believe it's been 50 years of hip-hop the celebration has started and definitely i've loved you know when artists were were able to be celebrated some are now coming into the rock and roll hall of fame which is always exciting and de la soul um at one point they they their what do you call it their catalog has now just been released onto like say spotify and some other streaming services because they were having issues with their their record company it, when you think about uh the history of hip-hop and its influence on the culture what's been the thing that stood out to you like the you say that hip-hop helped you or definitely guided you in being a dj but just that 50 years what do you what do you what's your what's your thoughts on that um a lot but i guess i can truncate it into saying like hip-hop as a culture is something that a lot of people saw as something that wasn't going to be around yeah um so Mm -hmm. like just the fact that 50 years later it's still here that's like Mm -hmm. one thing uh the fact that once again a lot of things that have happened in my life specifically as an adult professionally Mm-hmm. have been through the prism of hip-hop you know through the, the subculture of, of hip-hop djing um like i said i've been able to travel to different parts of the world meet all kinds of people have great experiences um not because i'm a cool guy or because i look so beautiful or anything like that but because i'm a hip-hop <laughs> dj you know so, so, so it's just like understanding like that this culture and once again the subculture of, of being a hip-hop dj has afforded me opportunities that 
A, I, I never would have set out or, or even said that's something that I wanted to do or I see something that being something feasible for me to do. Um, and then also, like I tell people all the time, it's like, A, in the mid 90s, specifically early 90s, seeing mm -hmm. people go in front of Congress here in the United States and sit at those tables with the green covers and talk about how hip hop would be the downfall of American society and, you know, mm -hmm. hide your wife, hide your, hide your kids hip-hop's coming to town and all these things that, you know, the same way they talk about Al-Qaeda and terrorism and all these things that were detrimental to the to the, to the nation, mm -hmm. hip-hop was seen that way. And now you look on TV or on the radio or anywhere, like hip-hop is everywhere. Hip-hop is really like world pop culture now. And it's, it's, it's funny, like haha -ha in some ways, and it's funny in kind of disappointing irony in other ways, but it's like hip-hop is used to sell everything except for hip-hop like you can like you want to buy a kia you got break dance and hamsters you want to <laughs> you know you want to do whatever hip-hop is behind it you know you want to sell something clothing hip-hop artists it's like all these and i'm not saying that because i think it's a bad thing but i think much again if you think about from which from where and which hip-hop came and it's not expected to be of anything and it's still here and has grown to be such a world influence and not mm -hmm. just like from a corporate standpoint, but even in the context of cultural engagement, cultural um, education, cultural exchange. It's like people talk about like math is a, is a universal language because no matter where you go, two plus two is four or music right. is, a, is, a, or is, is an international language because I don't have to speak the same language you speak, but we can listen to something or we can we can jam and like and have this conversation, so to speak, without speaking the same language. Like hip hop right. is very similar to that. It's like, no matter where you go in the world, whether it's hip hop being used for a revolution and to, to free people or to change society or 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 as entertainment and, and, and a way to engage your community and cult, like, it's just quite simply, it's so, it's just dope. It's so dope. But once again, <laughs> if you just, you know, it's this thing that, you know, young folks in the Bronx started in 73 and mm -hmm. here it is 2023 and we still at it and just you know doing my part to kind of uplift it keep it going I know it'll change and, and kind of adjust and grow but once again it's been an opportunity it, it's given me opportunities that you know I, I would have never at any time sat down and said this is what I want to do or this is how I want to do it or this is where I want to go yeah and opportunities um I think about uh, DJ I met years ago at a non-for-profit organization and he was DJing and I recognized him and I was thinking, well, he's DJing, but I remember him being in a group and I'm like, I wonder why he's DJing. And so we ended up talking and he said, I remember him telling me, you know what, I, I love music and I leaned into the, my love of music. And during the pandemic, um, he he grew into this this popular DJ club quarantine exists because of him. And so uh, meeting D nice a couple of times and kind of knowing his history with uh, Boogie Down Productions and being in hip hop. I knew that during the pandemic when he created this space of let's all come together and, and deep and, you know, listen to some great music and he cur curated that I was like, I, and it, it, re, it reawakened my love of what I used to do with DJing in that space. During the pandemic, 
were you in that same headspace and f- as far as because no one could go anywhere no one could travel <laughs> everybody was on lockdown but did you use your djing skills to kind of uplift in the same way that d nice did with club quarantine i did my best i by no <laughs> means did i reach levels that d nice uh, reached but i i think it's super dope what what it showed so specific to D nice like I think it was super dope that he was able to take that opportunity to show the value the importance and the power of hip-hop DJs I think mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of things were happening in the culture leading up to that that had people kind of expecting the DJ to be basically just the physical person who knows how to control my playlist I go to the club I'm putting my phone in the DJ's face or I'm making requests or doing all these things because my expectation is I want to hear what I want to hear and you're just here to allow the equipment to work to to play what I want to play and not understanding the artistic, the creative, the individual nature of what a hip hop DJ does. I was trying to do those things on Facebook, on Twitch, on YouTube and the algorithms were like, oh, copyrighted music. Sometimes I could play for a while, sometimes I couldn't. Uh, I spent a lot of 24-hour days, and looking back on it, I don't know what I was thinking, but I spent a lot of 24-hour days trying to figure out how to create my own art. art it's called an RTMP server, which basically is how you live stream. But I was trying to figure out how to create my own server so I could live stream to my own website the same way I could to Instagram, but without getting cut off. Never figured it out. But it led me to eventually doing things on Twitch. So getting into the Twitch culture and the Twitch community and live streaming on Twitch and eventually doing a few things on Facebook and or YouTube or or what have you. But it allowed me to A, pull back into doing things from a video aspect that I had been doing back in like 2010, back Mm -hmm. when our phones couldn't handle playing video. I used to DJ and and record, record's not the word, but basically live stream from the club. It was very primitive, but I was able to do it like with Ustream and other uh, apps. I was able to do that to where I was playing in the club, getting audio right off my mixer, routing it into my laptop, using the video camera on my laptop and sending that out to a website. But our phones couldn't handle that. So like if you weren't sitting in front of a website, excuse me, in front of a laptop or a desktop, Mm. you weren't really able to enjoy that. So I say all that like 10 years later, being able to live stream and do those things was really dope. Uh, It allowed me and made me get a lot better with what I was doing from some video and virtual aspects because I had fallen off a lot of my knowledge in those 10 years because I wasn't really using it. And then once again, it allowed me, and I say me in the context of just DJs all over, but allowed me and other DJs to remind the world like, yes, we are here to provide a service if you're hiring a DJ, but like, we're not like, we're not jukeboxes. We're not like automated personas. We like our artists the same way as like, you go to see Mary J. Blige, you want to see her perform. You want, of course you want to hear her hits, whatever, but she has millions of songs that she could sing and she can't sing them all every night. Same with DJs. It's like DJs have millions of songs to pull from. You may not right. hear every song you like, but a great artist, a great creative, and a great experience is what you should expect from a DJ. But he can't or she can't do that if they're constantly trying to do or or provide an individualized service for every single person in a 200, 300,000 person venue. 
it can't right. be done. But yeah. so, you know, it just allowed for a, a reset of part of the conversation in, in terms of kind of DJs and how they interact. I have to say, and I've I think I've heard a few of your mixes and you uh, ladies and gentlemen, he goes in. So you you'll get a musical education. Listen to a mix from Crate Digger. If people want to know more about you hear any of the mixes that you've done or see you or be a part of C4 on Clubhouse, where would they go? Um, so what I like to say is 24-7-365, you can get music, visuals, tutorials, documentary, and more on CrateDigger.com. I am on Twitter. <laughs> oh, he reminded me. I'm on MixCloud.com slash DJ CrateDigger. So I have some mixes there as well. MixCloud.com slash DJ CrateDigger. If you like to see the live shows that I do both in, well, let me rephrase, not live shows like live in the club, but like live streamed, those are on twitch.tv slash DJ Crate Digger. And I have some things on YouTube. So if you go to youtube.com slash, and they've changed it up. So it's .com slash at DJ Crate Digger on my YouTube. Like I have stuff all over. So if you really like, if you're like, really really like enjoying this conversation like you want to get all things crate digger it's out there easiest way into like the crate digger universe is through the portal that is the website and i have a you know a documentary that features a lot of different greats including uh grandmaster flash that's on my website now that the uh parody is over the, the panini all those different things that we call this crazy time that we went through for the past couple of years for the most part it has passed so i am back out in the real world now no matter what you think or may not think of my persona. I don't really like people that much. So like, if you see me out in public, just wave, don't walk up to me. I'm joking. But once again, the event page on the website is a great way to see where my live gigs are at. You know, it's summertime, so there's a lot more events, conferences. You know, I'd be speaking, I've done TEDx and some other things. So CrateDigger.com, CrateDigger.com, CrateDigger.com is the best way. Check us out on Clubhouse. Val comes in now every now and then and, you know, takes over the room and we have a good time. And, you know, you never know what you never know what might happen, you know. <laughs> oh, gosh. Crate Digger, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, I appreciate the opportunity to hang out with your people. I'm Val The Voice Johnson, and this is Interludes. To see more of our interview with DJ Crate Digger, please visit our Interludes YouTube channel. Next time on Interludes, it's part two of our chat with DJ Crate Digger and more celebrity chats celebrating Black Music Month on the next Interludes. Have you seen it? It's entertainment reviews, fabulous interviews, and sports you can use. Interludes Extra presents Talk on Tuesdays. Join us every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern, live in the chat. Interludes, original concept by Valerie Johnson, written by Michael Womble. Produced by Michael Womble and Valerie Johnson. Original intro and outro music produced by Kendall Nesbitt. Interludes, a Peer Lighthouse production. This episode is brought to you by... Need help with wills, trusts, or protecting your LLC? Join Legal Shield today. 
For more information regarding legal protection or to join our worldwide sales team, text the word LEGAL to 347-652-0243. Become a future sponsor or advertiser on our podcasting platform by visiting our website today. To subscribe to our YouTube channel or join Interlude's Facebook group, visit the website linktree slash peerlightmedia. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash peerlightmedia. Peerlightmedia.